This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. This is Neil McMillan inviting you to join me for Pulse of Politics. I'll be bringing you 30 minutes of interviews, conversation and commentary on issues that matter. That's Pulse of Politics. Our studio guest this week is His Worship the Mayor of Dunedin, Aaron Hawkins. So it's no surprise our topics will have a particular Dunedin emphasis. Even so, they will impinge on issues that are vital in other centres also. And two that will be uppermost are the nation's economic recovery from the pandemic and the election of a parliament and thereby a government on October the 17th. Wherever we live, these are critical matters, both emphatic and intertwined, and of major significance to people involved in local government also, such as Mayor Aaron Hawkins. So thanks, Aaron, very much for joining us. Kia ora, Neil. Thanks for having me. Aaron, every council has taken a serious hit from the uh, coronavirus outbreak. We know that Auckland has been particularly hard hit, but it's also costing Dunedin millions in lost revenue. What's the latest estimate and what's the prognosis for the rest of the year? It's a difficult time to try and write budgets, uh, I'll tell you that much. So we went through the annual plan process in um, you know, March, April, May of this year, which was in a, a feels like a very different um, setting to the one that we're currently in. And, and we had to, at that point, predict, or our staff had to predict uh, what the implications would be for council in terms of, as you say, lost revenue. So the, the kinds of things outside of rates that we rely on and nothing on the scale of Auckland, which I think um, you know, lost about half a billion dollars through you know, dividends from ports and airports and, and those sorts of things, but uh, certainly significant. And, and the estimate that uh, staff came up with for the budget was around uh, seven uh, was around seven million dollars, uh, and the decision we made was to uh, to borrow for that in the short term, uh, knowing that it may be less than that, it, it may be more than that. We we just don't know what kinds of impacts will will occur over the next twelve months. You know, if should you. God forbid, end up back in a, in a an alert level four situation. Obviously, people aren't moving around, so you don't have parking revenue. People aren't going out to Green Island to take their waste out there, so you lose you know, gate charges at the landfill, and all of those things uh, compound over time. You know, we were very generous with our our tenants and our commercial buildings, and weren't charging people um, generally weren't charging people rent uh, over the lockdown because they couldn't access their their stores, and which is the right thing to do. But there's a there's a cost to uh, to all of those things, so um, it's too too early in the so we're in sort of the first quarter, if you like, of the financial year. It's probably too early to tell um, how accurate those those predictions mm-hmm. are. But obviously, <laughs> anybody seeing out further than a week at a time uh, at this point is probably doing better than me. I mean, we we don't know what's going to happen in Auckland. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of. Um, trade and, and and how well people can do and, uh, and and how easily it'll be to travel around the country if and when you might be able to get international visitors back. All of these things are, are fairly well, they're known mm. unknowns if you like, but uh, it's um, it's a difficult spot to be doing any kind of long term planning from. Mm. What services might suffer 
as a consequence? Um, well, none that immediately spring to mind. I mean, we, as, through the through the uh, the lockdown process, we sort of organised the services that council offers uh, in order of priority, if you like. So we had our tier one kind of gold gold level stuff, the stuff that has to keep going no matter what. So that's water services, you know, making sure that people can still turn their t- turn on their taps and flush their toilets and do those those sorts of things. Um, that stuff carries on going mm-hmm. regardless. But we closed things like you know the public art gallery and and toy two and Moana pool and 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 as we came back out through level three and level two, more of those things can open. Uh, so I, th- I think the impact on on the services we deliver um, is prescribed by the the current public health settings, if you like, in terms of what can and can't be open, uh, but also certainly, um, I mean, there are there are there will be delays in work that staff have been doing because it is you know, as, as mm-hmm. noble as it has been the effort that people have made to uh, be working from home while they were uh, teaching themselves how to be early childhood teachers or uh, primary school teachers for their kids who were also at home when, when schools were closed. I mean, things have... Things have suffered in that regard, and that, that's not the most efficient way to get a lot of stuff done. But, uh, but by and large, there's no, there hasn't been any significant interruption to council's work program. Mm. And will the council be reassessing its capital works program? Well, we will anyway. So um, we're currently in the early stages of of planning the ten year plan, so our, our mm-hmm. long term plan, and that's a significant document in terms of setting out what it is that we plan to deliver or think we can deliver um, over the next 10 years, of which um, the, the Capital Works Program is a, is a huge part of that. So uh, that's currently working its way through the – and that's a, it's a question of um, what we can afford to do, but it's also equally a question of what is realistic in terms of what can be delivered. I mean, there are only – so many contracting firms operating and, and only so much capacity to deliver some of this stuff. But there's um, – you know, that, so that will be a uh, – there will be a significant debate in the early part of, of next year uh, in terms of um, yeah, what, what we can deliver in the Capital Works Program over mm. the next 10 years. There are no shortage of competing demands, <laughs> as there always are. The, the George Street development, is it likely that you'll have to modify that or alter the time frame? Uh, not at this stage. So, that, I mean, that's still scheduled to start in April of 2021, which is in the current uh, financial year and then, and then over the, the next few years. I mean, again, um, it's... If we end up in a situation where we are in a more constrained operating environment, you know, level three or, or level mm-hmm. four, then that that will delay things because stuff that can't be done, stuff that isn't essential um, in the in the instant, is more difficult to do. So um, that would be the only the only barrier. I mean, the 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 risk, of course in George Street is that the, the catalyst for doing that work is replacing 150-year-old water mains that need fixing, uh, and and that's not really particularly contentious. People are just debating about what we put back uh, when we do that. But um, but at this stage, no, that, that seems um, that's still on track. That work is 
progressing both in terms of the below ground work and the above ground work. Mm-hmm. Uh, other items in the 10-year plan, the tertiary precinct and the Harborside Bridge, are they still on the agenda? Well, they, they're still, they're currently in the, so they're currently, they're in our current 10-year plan. So, but anything that is from, anything that's in next year's budget, if you like, uh, or later than that, uh, would be up for debate through the through the ten year plan process, and I think there will be. Um, there are always trade offs in terms of as capacity in, in the market to deliver and affordability in the community to pay for it. And um, I, I wouldn't say that any of those things would be immune from being debated in terms of you know, whether you, whether they're still necessary and whether you might want to defer them uh, to later years, if there are more urgent capital works that need doing in the short term, uh, all of that stuff will start to shake down when um, when council meet in December. Mm. We, have two meet, well, if, yeah, we have two significant meetings in December and January to uh, sign off on the draft 10-year plan and, and all of those projects that you mentioned mm. will be part of that debate. The, the, the Harborside development, well, we've touched on this previously in a, in a, a previous interview, and that's on hold some work is still continuing on that. Yeah, there's still a, a, there was still a desire on the part of council to carry on with doing the kind of planning and preparation work, if you like. So, doing the kind of work that you would need to do to lodge a resource consent for a project like the the bridge in particular, uh, and and the and the work, um, you know, restoring the the wharves on the other side of it. So, uh, that is. I mean that's that stuff is still being chipped away at, um, but it, it certainly became obvious to me through the annual plan process, or you know in the in the current COVID environment that the 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 scale of private investment that we were anticipating our investment to leverage on the other side was less likely in the current climate than it mm. was six nine twelve months ago, and and you know the risk of investing in a a white elephant that waits around for for the market to have confidence and coming back and doing that work was is real, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, so but the but because we weren't building it this year, uh, it wasn't considered as part of our annual plan. But it will certainly be um, a, a key discussion in December. Mm. And the partnership group has that actually been dissolved? Uh, no, I mean, it's, I mean, the, 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 there's no expiry on the memorandum of understanding, as far as I'm aware. I mean, I don't think it's particularly active uh, in the in the current um, environment, but will be between now and December in terms of getting um, getting people on on board with with what's happening. I mean, you've seen in the paper in the last few weeks there are significant challenges that the university is facing in terms of their capital works program. I can't imagine their facility that they were going to build in the steamer basin is particularly high up the list of their priorities right now and mm. everyone is feeling the same stress um, and and you know to say nothing of the challenges we have in making sure that we have the workforce here to do the work that is planned and Dunedin over the next 10 years you know the, mm. the hospital is still being built and we are still committed to doing the 
the work in uh, in the central city and in, in the uh, in the tertiary area. Um, it may not be necessarily the same year as it's currently planned, but there's no council has made certainly made no decisions to not do that work. So yeah, it's. Um, complicated and 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 um, will require some serious thought over the next few months and then in the first half of next year um, it's a pretty big conversation for our community to get involved in because it is you know, as as significant a 10-year plan as council was put together in a long time Aaron after next month's election what will the DCC be looking for from the new government? Whatever form the new government takes, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think I mean the areas where we have the most significant overlap are areas that are critical to us. So, the direction that the government takes in terms of what its transport priorities are have a fairly direct bearing on. What we do, because you know the the NZTA, the, the transport agency, are a co-funder in almost all of our projects. So, you know, if they have a if if they are aligned with council's aspirations around uh, public transport use and and walk and active transport, walking and cycling, those sorts of things, that makes it easier for us. Um, I mean, the biggest issue, obviously, we have is around. Um, housing on, on many levels and and that's partly that's a, a shortage of public housing which is something that government uh, should be uh, more actively involved in whoever that government is and and we're happy to work with them and, and community housing providers to address that so that more people have houses that they can afford to rent um, but there's also a big there's a there's a big risk in terms of what happens to our water network so the Government are leading a, a reform program for the three waters, which is drinking water and wastewater and stormwater. And the fairly clear direction from government is that they don't believe that local councils should be in direct control of their water infrastructure and that it should be aggregated at a regional scale and, and, and so on. And that means you don't have the direct influence locally necessarily as to where the pipes go and where the capacity is and and how that relates to housing is because the biggest barrier to increasing the supply of residential development in Dunedin is the capacity of our water network and so we want to be able to allow uh, to to, uh, invest in the infrastructure to allow for capacity in the areas where it makes sense to for us to achieve our uh, social and environmental goals, and, and mm. make sure that it's um, it's, a, it's a sustainable infrastructure network. And the very real risk is that we won't have as much say as to where that goes, because if it's being run by a corporate entity, there's no guarantee that they wouldn't just put the pipes in the ground wherever it is cheapest for them to be able to do that. Mm. Um, and and that on top of what looks like significant reform to the Resource Management Act, no matter who wins the election, I mean those are those will have significant bearing. Uh, those will have a significant bearing in terms of planning what the future of our city looks like over the next generation or two. Mm. Shovel-ready projects. What's the, what's the response have we had from the government, and what are the priorities for the council? Yeah, we put in as everyone did <laughs> a list of of projects to um, to the Crown Infrastructure Partners 
fund, the, the shovel-ready money, as it's now called. Um, and a, a lot of those were uh, were water infrastructure projects. And so um, the money that we've been granted to to support the Three Waters work is effectively from that pool. So that's a roughly $8 million plus uh, another uh, $8 million or thereabouts if we can agree a, a split with our um, territorial authorities across the region. Um and then there's, I mean, so that's, I mean, that is uh, significant. Other bits and pieces around um, strategic investment and, and tourism planning, um, economic development events I've seen today. Um, the, the schedule of when those things would be announced obviously was somewhat interrupted mm. by the fact that the date of the election changed. And it's hard to believe there's still another month to go uh, until mm. the general election. And, and as I always say, when my colleagues ask me when we would anticipate any announcements about the Dunedin area, my response is that we will find out about that when it's most politically mm-hmm. convenient uh, for our, our government parties to let us know that. So uh, I don't know any more than you do around what we might um, what we might expect or anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, you know, it's 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 interesting when you when you look at how it's like ten thousand out of the eleven thousand newly unemployed. Uh, women and the response from government is to invest very heavily in infrastructure, which are industries that are very uh, male dominated. I, I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if, if go, going so hard on heavy engineering and infrastructure projects over and above everything else is sustainable. So I, I'm, I'd be very interested to see beyond the election, and we don't have a lot in the way of commitments from any of our major political parties about what might happen beyond the election because that will be critical in terms of how how we invest in our communities and and support people. Mm. There have been big concerns recently about the future of the Tyree Gorge Railway Service Mm. and the proposed new landfill. What assurances can you give to resolve the public's qualms on these two matters? Well, in terms of Smooth Hill, probably very little, sadly, at this point. Um, the the Resource Management Act process is fairly prescriptive um, in terms of what it can consider. Uh, we, I mean, this isn't new. The, the site's been designated for that purpose since the early 1990s and was reconfirmed through the second-generation district plan, and we've been working on the consent for it since last year. And, and the independent assessment that we had done of the application is that the uh, effects on the environment are no more than minor, but that that is what would be decided um, when it goes to be um, assessed by commissioners. Um, and there's a lot going on, but there's not a lot you we can say publicly at this point, and I appreciate that that is incredibly frustrating uh, for the public and... And people are rightly anxious when when major projects are being proposed in areas where they live or areas that they care about, and and that is that is difficult. But um, we certainly take uh, our obligations very seriously in terms of minimising and ad- and adequately mitigating uh, the effects on the environment, which is the bar you have to meet to get consent for the project in the first place. Mm, we might hear something on these when. So from now, so the application's been lodged. Uh, there's a period of 20 working days where the regional council, who, who's 
um, who we've asked for consent mostly uh, need to will determine whether or not it will be um, fully publicly notified or limited notification or indeed whether it can, I mean they could throw it out if they think it's inadequate. Um, so that would be within the next 20 working days mm. and, and then once we know that uh, then then council will will make a decision as, as to when we would um, progress the 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 hearing itself so that's the that's the next decision point mm. where is the council at with the appointment of a new chief executive i understand there've been more than 100 applications for this i i couldn't tell you the number off Hand there was there was certainly significant interest. Um, the process is ongoing, and the the decision ultimately um, is set up. The decision has to be made by uh, full council, so uh, council as a whole will meet uh, and, and interview the shortlisted candidates uh, and pick a preferred one. And then, as with any employment process, it's a period of negotiation around terms and conditions and. Um, when when people might anticipate starting work, but um, beyond that, um, it's not a lot I can say, unfortunately. Mm. The advertisements for chief executive it described the position as a partnership with the council. Uh, how can that be justified when the role is actually that of a paid employee, not of a partner? It's a it's a very interesting working relationship. So as I mean, as you say, we the, the council as an elected body only employs one person, the chief executive, and and uh, and, and and they hire the rest of of our staff. And but um, the, the the job ultimately is to implement and give effect to the decisions that council makes, our policies and, and strategies and uh, and those sorts of things. So you're working with us uh, in, in, in parallel in some ways as opposed to always ne- it's not quite as hierarchical as the the flow chart might suggest I mean it's not a partnership in the legal sense obviously but uh, it's certainly a um, you know I, I'm, I work with the chief executive and 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 with my elected members and they work with their staff and and together we set the direction and then implement that for the for the city. So it's the working relationship, actually, rather than a, a, a change in status. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's it's more of a reflection of yeah how how it works in practice mm. than than how it might be structured. Yeah, Aaron, there's been some pressure among the public for a return to first past the post voting in local body elections, but the council has been committed to retaining STV. Yeah, we reconfirm. I mean, we don't have to, but we, we as a matter of course, uh, reconfirm the. We have done as long as I've been here. Reconfirm the voting method every triennium, and chose to, um, to to reconfirm the STV system. We also have to give public notice of the right of the community to demand a a, a poll on that, a referendum on that, if they can get five percent of eligible voters uh, to sign a petition requesting one and. I'm aware there's a there's a petition. I haven't heard much um, about that recently in terms of in terms of numbers. But if if they get if it gets up by early 
next year, uh, then we need to run a referendum next year. If it takes longer than that, uh, it would be done uh, in parallel with the next election. But it doesn't have it doesn't have a lot of political support, and a cynic might suggest, of course not, because we're all there elected under the system that we have, and why would we vote for change to change it? But fundamentally, it means the STV system means that in a in a race where there's only one winner, i.e., the mayoralty, you end up with a candidate that has the support of more than half of the people of, that have voted, as opposed to, in, in many cases, under a first past the post system, you end up with mayors with less than a third of all votes cast in their favour. And in, and in races where you have multiple people elected, so like our city council is, it's the system that supports more a broader range of candidates getting elected so long as those people stand in the first place. That's what the the information tells us. And increasingly, you know, Hamilton have just voted to change. Tauranga recently have the far north. Nelson joining Wellington. Us, Porirua, Kapiti Coast. There seems to be a resurgence and interest in a, a fairer and more representative voting system, which is why councils support it. But I 100% support running a referendum if, if people take up the, the opportunity that they have to demand one. That's how democracy works. And I don't think the price of a, or the cost of a referendum is a valid argument mm. against people having that opportunity. Earlier this year, the ZCC made a submission to a parliamentary committee advocating STV for all local body elections. One would have thought this should have been tested with local body and local government New Zealand first. Uh, well, possibly. I mean, we, I mean, LGNZ is a membership organisation and, and those, the policy of that is set by, um, you know, pa- passing remits at the AGM and I don't remember there being one uh, around around the, the voting method. Um, it would certainly make it easier for us in, uh, in Dunedin for all of our local elected bodies, the District Health Board, the Regional Council and the City Council to each have the same voting system, and I see that you know, the regional council also have, have uh, are going to progress a, a a poll on on the voting method here locally, because it is confusing for people to try and navigate multiple voting systems, and um, and that would be useful. But you know, for all the reasons that I've suggested, I mean, I think we we don't have we've reje- we've cho- we've rejected multiple times in recent history a first past the post voting system. For our general election, you know that isn't something that our community wants for a general election. I, I don't see why we would uh, cling to that me- that method at a local level unnecessarily and and some stronger direction from government. I know Peter Barron is lodging a petition to try and get government to make that decision, but um, you know rather than waiting for all seventy eight local and regional authorities to make those uh, make those changes, it'll be helpful, I think, to have and, a... Uh, yeah, and, and finally, the present council, of course, was elected under STV. Oh, so right. obviously they would regard it as a wonderful system. Were losing candidates consulted? Was the public generally consulted? On on, on us reconfirming the voting system? Hmm. Uh, no, but we had... I mean, there were plenty... I mean, the people who support a change back to the old voting method haven't been shy in letting us know what they think, so that's which is fine. But we also had a number of people come and speak to us uh, at public forum and another other uh, other fora in advance of that, strongly supporting the current system that we have. I mean, and 
you know, there are always going to be differences of opinion. But I mean, you're right. It's <laughs> it's a. I mean, why would the turkey vote for Christmas? I mean, I understand that, but that doesn't mean that it's doesn't mean it's wrong. It just you know, and and personally, a first past the post system favours an incumbent. Uh, in a in a mayoral election, like it's it's far easier to get rid of a, an incumbent mayor under an STV system. So if I was acting purely in self interest, Neil, uh, I'd support the return to the old way of doing Obviously, it. Obviously, yes. <laughs> mayor Aaron Hawkins, uh, that unfortunately is all we've got time for. But it's an intriguing discussion. Again. There was much more we could have discussed, but we're grateful for the time that you've given us. Very much appreciated. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Neil. Listeners, we've been speaking with the Mayor of Dunedin, Aaron Hawkins, and that's our program for the week. And this is Neil McMillan closing with a reminder, you can catch Pulse of Politics at the same time every week on air, online, or on podcast. You've been listening to Pulse of Politics, broadcast every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. If you'd like to hear this program again, you can download a podcast from oar.org.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.